Let me tell you a, a couple of things as you take your seats and, and let you know that you've already noticed that we've, we've started to change worship services here. And I, I want to give you a little bit of background, and then we'll open up the Word together. Um, I mean, i got a lot to get in um, as, as we talk about this. Uh, this morning I woke up and realized it's a 45-minute sermon, and so good news, I cut it down to an hour and a half. And so, uh, so, so we got to move pretty quickly. But um, I just want you to know, as many of you know, that every year, uh, the third quarter of every year, I start praying and asking God for a word for the next year. And so God's, God gave me a word in, in, in the third quarter. Our leadership, we've been talking about this. And, and you guys don't put the word up on the screen yet. I'm going to say the verse, but we're not ready for that. And so, uh, it's, but it's out of uh, um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so this next year, we're going to flesh that out together. And, you know, I started thinking as I started praying through this verse, and, and I remembered back when we, we rolled into town about 28 years ago, and we planted Fellowship the Rockies, and honestly, we're a bunch of arrogant church planters, and we're coming, you know, we're Texans. I know some of you, that's what you're thinking. I'm way ahead of you. <laughs> of course you did. You're Texans. And so, uh, so, so we rolled in to, to plant Fellowship the Rockies, and we said, you know what, we're not going to have tradition. We're going to be Pueblo's contemporary church, and, and we're going we're gonna to follow the Spirit and all of those other things. And guess what? 28 years later, we have tradition. And we have our own liturgy. And so it's, it's like three songs, a word of encouragement, one song, video announcements, a sermon, and then prayer response. And that's, that's what we do every week. And so we've developed our own tradition. And so I started praying through this verse and saying, God, do you want to just interrupt what we do on the weekends? I mean, do you have a fresh, do you, in the season, do you just have a fresh word for us? And just, just in the season and the time in which we lived. And so, so for, for a period of time, guess what? We're, we're ditching video announcements and we're not going to do video announcements. We, we live in a world that is so impersonal. And I know what I do when commercials come on TV, right? If I haven't, you know, recorded it. Uh, it's either a bathroom break, usually a snack break or something like that, or you, you look at social media, something like that. But we totally ignore it. And so we're going we're gonna to make it very personal. And so, it, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But you're going to have a live person, and we're going to use some of our, our student interns. I want you to meet some of them. I believe we should raise up the next generation, and that is important to me. And so you're going to hear some of our students. We have some awesome students in this place. Except for a couple, I put them on probation. Because <laughs> this last week, they, they cleaned out a storage area of our church, and that's where some of my files were. And they found some things of mine that they called artifacts. And, you know, some 8-track tapes, uh, some cassette tapes, and then they're asking me, and we thought it was a computer game at first. I'm like, no, that was the best form of media ever, 8-track tapes. And so, uh, anyway, so we, we had to have an explanation. And so, so we're going we're gonna to use some of them. And we're going we're gonna to introduce them to you because I believe, guess what? We should raise up the next generation. And we got, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm with some of our young people. In their generation, there is a hunger for him. And they should be able to find him here, right? And we should help them. And we should help them. 
And so for the next four weeks, and so in just a few minutes, we're going to open up the word together. We're going to take communion at the close of the service. But here's another little bit of change because used to, we never, we, remember we did communion in the middle of worship and now we're doing it at the end and that's kind of thrown some of us off, right? And so uh, we're going to do communion at the end. And for the next three weeks, four weeks, but the next three weeks after this week, we're going to close every one of our services with communion. And we're just going to make room for him. And we're going to dedicate, thank you. And we're going we're gonna to dedicate this, this year, and we're going to dedicate the first month of this year to him and just see what he has for us. Now, now this weekend... I'm going to talk to you about communion so we understand it. And I'm going to talk to you in theology and in application. So the first part of this message is probably heavy theology. The second part, the four points, will be application and illustration. And there, you know what? Before tonight's over, I'm probably going to offend every one of you. Uh, so I'm an equal opportunity offender tonight. When I talk about the, the, just the theology uh, behind communion. Why do we take communion? Why do we go to the Lord's table? Whatever, whatever, you've, whatever your spiritual background is, is how you used to frame it uh, or call it. Why do, why do we do this? And why is it important? And have we seen it the way the scriptures see it? Or have we just only seen it out of church tradition or some of the other things? And so my, my promise, just so we're tracking, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, then we're going to be in 1 Corinthians and we're going to land for most of our time. And so I've titled this message, Come to Me, because one of the ways that we come to him is through communion. One of the ways that we remember what he's done, his sacrifice, and some of those other things is through this issue of, of communion. And so um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, here's what the scripture says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So that's a conditional promise. There's unconditional promises of scripture, and there's conditional promises of scripture. And so come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you wet rest. So the condition is, if you come to me, if you come to me, I will, I will give you rest. And then in the next verses, Jesus tells us how. And we'll unpack this in the days uh, to come. And it says, take my yoke and learn from me, because I'm lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for what? You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so here's what I'm learning and here's what I'm realizing. People need God, right? And people need God in the culture and the times in which we live. People need God like never before, I believe, for sure, never before in my lifetime. And people need to be reminded that, guess what? God is with them and God is present. And God is present in their crisis and God is present in their difficulty. God is present in the celebrations of life and the good times of life and the blessings of life. And God is present in, in, in the valley. God is present in the difficulty. But if we're not careful, we forget. And we can forget that he is with us. And so the Bible teaches us that, guess what? He is the only one that can give us rest. And he is the only one for sure that can give us the deepest form of rest. And that is rest for our souls. And he simply says, just, just come to me. If, you're, if you and I aren't careful, we'll go to everybody else but him for rest for our souls. We'll go to a spouse or we'll go to a friend. Uh, we'll go to a relationship. We may go to a supervisor or look to a company to do that. We may look at a country to do that. We may look at government to do that or a politician. But what we're watching is we are watching the foundations being shaken. And I'm realizing this. More and more people just need to know that God is real and God is, God is with them. 
We saw it if you're a football fan, and my family is a football fan family. But if you watch Monday Night Football, you, you saw it. You witnessed it. And for those of you that don't know, when DeMar Hamlin went down, and I think we have a pick, and there's, there's the picture. DeMar Hamlin went down, and it looked like a normal hit, but he had a cardiac arrest. And so they were doing CPR on the field and, and an AED and those other things. The players are witnessing it. And so you had grown men that were, that they were well acquainted with pain, and they were well acquainted with injury. And fact is, they'd seen people carted off the field, and they'd seen people in difficulty, and they'd walked through some tragedy in their life, and they're a emotional on the field and then all of a sudden you see the entire Buffalo Bills team down on a knee and they're praying for DeMar's healing they are praying for his healing the analysts didn't know what to do but you know what they were talking about football's like secondary and they're talking about the, I mean all of a sudden what comes out is their relationship with God and it just started coming out. There are reports that in the stands, 70-something thousand fans, that fans were circling up, joining hands, and they're praying and they're calling out to God for DeMar, DeMar's healing. That's a prayer service. That is a prayer service that's going on there. And so they're, they're calling out for his healing. The, the following day, the NFL analyst, um, Chicago Bears ex-player, can't remember his name right now, he's in the middle of the broadcast and all of a sudden, this man just says, you know what? i got to pray. And I don't care what the NFL thinks. I don't care what ESPN thinks. I don't care what the network thinks. I don't care what anybody thinks. I have got to pray. And then he gave instructions. It was hilarious. And so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head. And I'm going to pray. And this man prayed. This man prayed to where you knew this man knew Jesus. I mean, it wasn't one of those superficial prayers. This was one of those deep prayers. And so when you look at this, you realize that there... There is something that is happening to where more and more people are raising up and talking about their faith. And so church, church needs to be a place. And maybe, maybe church in America has drifted. I don't know. But, but church has to be a place to where you say, come, God is here. Not come and hear our preacher, or not come and hear the worship team, or not come and hear our programs, or not come because we're the coolest church in town, we're the best church in town, not come for any... You know what? You know the reason you need to come? You need to come because God is here. And you need to come because God is present. Listen, if you're a student of church history, and it's something that I deeply love, but if you're a student of church history, then you know the first 300 years of the local church, you know what's central to the church? You know what was central to their worship? Not the preacher. You know what was central to their church? Communion, the table. That was central for 300 years every week they took communion. And that was what was central. And it was way for 300 years, and they started drifting by the Protestant Reformation in, in 1500. All of a sudden, they moved it to like the word to the preacher to where it's now drifted to where we got celebrity preachers, right? To where it's like, come and hear our preacher and come and hear his pot and all those other things. And I just, I just think that God has given us a word. And we should be able to say, you know what? Come. God is here. Man, just come. God's presence, you will, you will find him. If you don't know him, you will find him here. And so there's a lot of instructions given in, the, in, 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 in 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to read it, and you're going to see, you know, Paul is like hacked off. I mean, Paul is mad uh, because of the way that they're treating this. And so he gives instructions about communion. And watch this, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. 
Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worst. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and and in part I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there may be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. But when you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one of you eats its own supper. So one person is hungry while another one gets drunk. And and don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. I mean, he's like mad. He's like, I, I can just imagine the, the guy that's like, you know, he, he had a scribe. He dictated this letter. And so when he, said, when he said that statement, I do not praise you in this matter, the guy looked up and says, you know, I don't know. Do you want a period there or do you want to? You, no, you, you seem mad. You want an exc- we'll, we'll put an exclamation mark. We'll do that. <laughs> Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what also I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, The cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. That's important. We're going to come back to that. In this way, let, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, so it's important. He's talking to Christians. When you come together, eat and welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at his home, and so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give you instructions about these matters whenever I come. So Paul's like, and we're going to have a face-to-face conversation when I get there. And so one thing is clear about this issue of communion or the Lord's Supper is this. It's reserved for, it's reserved for believers. It's reserved for followers. Everywhere you see that they had the Lord's Supper, uh, Jesus with his disciples, 1 Corinthians is written to a church, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's always in the context of believers. And so believers take communion. They take communion together as one, which shows unity. So un- unbelievers do not share in the work of Christ, so, so communion is not for them. Communion is for, for people that are celebrating what God has done. And so depending on like what church background you come out of, you may call this all different things. You may call it the Lord's Supper, breaking of bread, uh, the Eucharist, uh, communion, the table. But I want to talk to you about communion. I want to talk to you about this. Now, listen, I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit about my church, church background. Uh, I've told you I came to Christ when I was, when I was in my, my 20s. And, and the church that I came into, is, you know, it was a great church. But, but they, they had a very low view of communion. In other words, they believed that the communion was like, like a symbol only. And it didn't, there was really not much special going on. And so it was just kind of a symbol that, that was, was happening. And that, that also they had some, like, some regulations that you should only take communion like once a quarter. That if you took communion every week, then you'd make a ritual out of that. And then it wouldn't be important and it wouldn't be special. And it'd be like it was sin. Fact is, in, in our churches, 
even the bylaws that you could only have communion once a quarter. Because if you had it every week, it'd make a ritual out of it. Well, if you believe logic like that, then we've made a ritual out of preaching. We've made a ritual out of worship. We've made a ritual out of gathering. We've made a ritual out of, of giving and some other things because we, we do that every week. We do that every, So maybe we should just press in, into the scriptures. And so what happened for me is when I, when I got to seminary, and I mean, it's a conservative Baptist seminary, and so I, I get to seminary, and I have this, 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 what I thought at the time was elderly, and now he doesn't seem so old. And so, uh, <laughs> but he opened systematic theology class, and, he's, and, and, and he said, I, I just got to tell you something. I grieve for the church because I think we've lost something in baptism and in, in the Lord's Supper, and that is his presence. I mean, that's God's presence. I mean, the, the Bible teaches us that it's a mystery and that he is there with us. See, the early church, the early church believed that when they took communion, when they went to the table, that something special was taking place, that the Lord was there with them. Where two or more are gathered, I am there with them is what the scripture teaches. So if you and I aren't careful, we can go to one extreme or the other when we look at communion. One extreme is like my background. One extreme is like, ah, it's symbol only. Uh, nothing much going on, you know, that, that whole deal. And you only do it once a quarter. You don't do it very often. And it's, it's not really special, but you need to do it. And you need to remember some things. Um, to, to where the other extreme is to where the, the bread and the juice or the wine actually become the body and the blood of Christ. In other words, that when someone's receiving communion on the other extreme, they're receiving something. It's a sacrament. They're receiving forgiveness. They're receiving salvation. They're receiving uh, uh, grace. They're receiving something. And so there's some of you that may have come out of one of those backgrounds. You may have come out of a background like me. You may have come out of another extreme to where you were taught this issue that the, the bread and the juice of the wine becomes the, the, the body of, of Christ. And so the theological word for that, just real quickly, because I really think we need to understand this, is transubstantiation. And that's a doctrine that a lot of, not a lot, but some denominations hold. That when a, when a priest or a pastor blesses the cup, blesses the bread, that all of a sudden the elements physically become the body and the blood of Christ. And so the only reason that I feel like I need to address this is because when I say that I believe that there's something special that happens with communion and, and there's a mystery and Christ is, is present with us, I don't want you to think that I believe that the bread turns into the body and the blood and the juice or wine turns into the, uh, the blood of Christ. Fact is, just real quickly, this issue of transubstantiation, it wasn't taught until the 13th century. 1,300 years of Christianity, nobody believed this. And then something just shifted. It, and if you believe that Christ, the elements turn into the body and the blood of Christ then it affects your view of salvation. It affects your view of, 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 of the gospel because the way you and I see communion is the way that we see salvation. Salvation is not something that we do. It's not something that we obtain. It's not something that we get for taking some bread and taking some juice. It's, it is salvation is through faith in Christ, not of our works. So no one can boast. Grace is, is, is grace because... Grace is grace because it's not attainable. You, you don't earn it. That's why it's called grace. And I've told you, fact is, I told you on Christmas Eve for the very first time in front of a lot of people that, that weren't a part of our church when I told you 
that salvation, when you look at salvation, it's not in first person, it's in third person. It's not because of me. It's not because I've done something. It's because of him. It's because of what he did for us on the cross. See, that's the power of communion. Communion reminds us it is not because of me. But it is because of him. It is because of his sacrifice. See, you can go all the way to Luke chapter 22. When Jesus got the disciples up in the upper room, and I've been in that upper room. I've been in that upper room. And when Jesus got the, up, the, the disciples in the upper room, and he was, he was given communion before he went to the cross, and he was explaining some things to them. He was explaining to them their need for him and their need for forgiveness and their need to, to understand that he is going to be with them to the ends of the age. And then he broke the bread and he said, this is my body. He gave them the cup and he said, he said and, and this is my blood. When you realize that, it, it, it's subtle, but in the Greek, that word, that word this simply means that it, it represents something. Jesus would say this all the time, right? That Jesus would use a symbol, but it had a deeper meaning. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the light. And so he, say, when he is saying, this is my body. When his body was right there, he was still there in the flesh. And this is my blood when his blood was still running through his veins. And so there's no, listen, there's no indication in Scripture that we get the benefits of Christ by eating something or drinking something. Communion is symbolic, but it represents something much deeper. It represents something much deeper. And there is a mystery to communion. There is a mystery to baptism that I will never understand. I've, I've talked, and our staff has talked about people that have walked through the waters of baptism, and they could be brand-new Christians, and they can walk out, and they say, you know what, I don't know, but something went on that I'm not, some, I, something went on in those waters that I felt, that I've never felt before. And so we have those testimonies. And so in the time that I have left, I want to give you four things, four things that we need to, four reasons why we celebrate, four reasons why we take communion. And then guess what? We're going to practice what we preach. And we're going we're gonna to take communion together as a church family. How's that? And then we'll close, okay? And so four things. Uh, the first one is this. It's a time of remembrance. Communion is a time, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, speaking of Jesus, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this is what Jesus stressed. Jesus stressed, do this in remembrance of me. So communion, foundationally, is about remembering. So what do we remember? We remember the body and the blood of Christ. We remember that he gave his life for us. He, he gave his body for us. He gave his, his blood for us. He, we remember that God became a man, and he, he lived a perfect and a sinless life, and he went to the cross, and he, su he suffered, and, and, and he died, and he died in, in, in a body. We remember what Paul remembered in Corinthians, that, that blood shed on a cross that, that is now sprinkled on our hearts to cleanse us from guilty conscience and, and give us access to God. I mean, remember like pre-COVID deal, uh, communion service, um, you know, before we gave you like the Happy Meal things with, uh, with like the sealed, the sealed bread and, and the juice. Remember those days? You remember old school days when we'd take the crackers and we'd pile them up in a basket and we'd pass them and people would cough on them and sneeze on them and like dig their hands and try to find the one that's just for them and pass it to the next person. And we like thought nothing of it, right? We, we didn't even, we, we didn't, you do that today, you know, everybody, oh man, I mean, you know, they've been sanitizing all those other things, but I still miss those crackers. I, 
I actually liked them, and I, I missed those. I'll tell you a crazy story. You're eating into my time now. I did a wedding. I did a wedding in the Springs, Garden of the Gods in the chapel, and the couple wanted to take communion. And I, I was running late, and I, I had the communion elements and some grape juice and stuff in my truck, and I, I drove up there, and I got hungry. I ate the whole box. I didn't even realize it. I get there, and I realize we're out. And so, so, I, so, so they took communion with flour tortillas. I had to stop. I had to stop getting, I blessed them and prayed over them and, and say, we got to move on. I've never told that story, and I don't even know why I told that story now. But I feel like I'm red. But, but remember, those, remember those crackers? And I would take them, and I mean, they're awesome. And I, I would break them, and you could hear it in the mic. And I said, this is his body that is like broken for you. And we got it. And then those crackers, if you remember, had little holes in them. And I'd say, in those holes, those holes that you see in the crackers, this represents the holes in his hands and in his feet that he suffered and died for, for you. And then those crackers would have like, like burnt edges to them. And I'd say, this is his body that was scorned for you. Communion. Yes, it is a symbol, and I get it and I understand it. I'm sorry, I'm ADD, but you're, it's leaking. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. That was your shadow. I am so sorry. <laughs> Karen, I apologize. It's just, I, no, I, am, I am so sorry. I thought her water bottle was turned on its side, but the shadow was like it was going everywhere. And I'm thinking... <laughs> So, I didn't think there'd be this much laughter in a communion sermon. And so, um, maybe we need it. I don't know. Uh, so, it's, it's, it's communion symbolic, but it also has deep meaning. The best way that I can explain it is one of my favorite things to do in Israel is we charter a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. And when we get on the boat, it's... The, the first thing that, that, that they do for us is there's a little flagpole on the bow of the boat, and it's just us, and they raise the Israel national flag. It means nothing to me, honestly. I mean, it's pretty, pretty blue, but it really means it, it's just very unemotional to me. But then they raise the American flag, and they play the national anthem. The American flag to me is way more than a symbol. And it's not the actual body and blood of the men and women who have given their life for this country. But it represents them. I know some men who have given their life for this country. And when I take communion and I hold that bread and I hold that juice, it is a symbol but I know the one who died for me. I know the one. I know the one who gave his body and spilled his blood on the cross that is now sprinkled on my heart to remove a guilty conscience and I don't have to live with that any longer. And so here's what, here's what I would tell you as your pastor. 
We need to live between the two extremes. We need to live between the extreme over here. Ah, it's just a symbol. Nothing much special is going on. We do it every once in a while uh, just because the Bible says we should to way over here to where it says, oh, it's the body and the blood of Christ, transubstantiation, and you're receiving grace and you're receiving salvation. And so that's, that's the way you obtain it. And so we need to stay in the middle. So the first thing is this. It's a time of remembrance, but it's also a time of reflection. And so you ask, well, what is our part? Well, Paul tells us what our part is. Verse 27, so then, who eats the, uh, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let, let a person examine himself. That's important. We're going to come back to that. Because the way, listen, I'm telling you, the way you see, the way you see count, um, uh, communion is the way you see the gospel is the way you see salvation. And so he said, let, him, let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So Paul says, well, you need to examine yourself. So this extreme over here would be, well, it's just a symbol. We don't really, we don't really examine ourselves. That's not even a part of it. And then this group over here says, oh, no, you've got to examine yourself because you're about ready to receive the body and the blood of Christ. You're about ready to receive grace. So now you better examine yourself. Am I worthy? That's why people carry guilt. Am I worthy? What are my sins like this last week? Am I even worthy to take of the bread? Am I even worthy to take of the, of, of the juice? Have I confessed everything? Listen, have I confessed everything out? And then at the, at the, at the extreme, then all of a sudden a church leader gets to tell you whether you're worthy or not. The way you see communion affects everything. And I want to tell you, this kind of te- teaching is destructive. Because if we're to come to the table and evaluate if we're worthy to come to the table, then I need to tell you beyond a shadow of doubt, none of us are worthy. <laughs> That's the gospel. None of us are worthy. Salvation is not in the first person, it's in the third person. We come to the table because he's worthy. We come to the table not because we're enough, because he's enough. That's the reason we come to the table. I mean, and so I've told you, I've, I've, just, I've just told you that the, the best commentary on Scripture, Scripture's itself, right? I mean, it's the best, it's what I believe. I mean, I, and so, so I ask myself a question, does Paul ever use this word examine? Does Paul ever tell you and I that we need the church, we need to examine ourselves? And so he does, verse 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it's a follow-up letter. They, may, they had some questions. He says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? And so what he's telling us is when we come to communion, we, we say, God, is there evidence? Am, am I a believer and am I a follower of yours? I mean, have I come to the place and ask you for forgiveness of sin and ask you to come into my life? I mean, it's an examination of where we are. It's an examination. Is there a sin that I need to confess? Is there a, recon- is there, is there a relationship that I need to reconcile? Is there something I need to change in my business? Is there something I change? Is there gossip or slander or some of those other things? Am I looking at things that I shouldn't look at? We ex- listen, we examine our lives, not our neighbor's lives. 
not anybody else's lives, but not whether we're worthy to come to the table. We examine our lives, and oh, and guess what? At that moment, we confess our sins. And he reminds us at that moment, we got the bread and we got the juice, and he reminds us at that moment, guess what? Your sins are forgiven. Man, your sins are covered. All your actions and all your words, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we come to the place and communion reminds us, I am totally and completely forgiven. I am deeply loved in him. I am perfect and I'm complete and I'm lacking nothing because guess what? He is enough. He's enough. We have got to understand that. The third thing is this. It is a time of renewal. I mean, that, it just kind of preaches itself. When you realize that you're totally and completely forgiven and you're deeply loved in him, there is something that happens. And we renew our commitment to each other. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, The cup of the blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread who we are many, are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You know what he's saying? He said, we're a family. And that's why, this, is, this is why Paul's so mad, and that's why he's so fired up. Is he was upset because there were racial divisions within the church in Corinth. There were divisions socially. There were divisions economically. There were divisions ethically. And Paul is trying to say, guess what? You're one family. And communion reminds us of that. That's why we take of the bread and we take of the juice in unity. It reminds us, guess what? We're family. And I know it. I know it. There's, there's people that will tell you now. In fact, someone two weeks ago told me out in the community. They told me this. Maybe you've heard this. They said, hey, pastor, I, I get church and all that, but I don't have to be a Christian to go to church. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I looked down and said, you know, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And guess what? I don't have to live in the same house with my wife to be married. I can stand up in front of a church or a judge and commit my life to her and never live with her and still be married. It's going to hurt my relationship with her, right? There may be some that wonder whether I'm really married or not. This is what Paul's talking about. What Paul's talking about. This is, this is one of the reasons, and I'll, I'll just, it's not in my notes, and sometimes I shouldn't do that. <laughs> You've got evidence right now. One of my concerns right now is when people, that people can watch online and get the same thing online that they can get in person. Have we quit being a community? Have we quit building relationships? Is it just going through the motions? The picture of community is to promote, I'm sorry, the picture of communion is to promote community. I mean, God's doing something special in the men's ministry. Men, January 21st, 830. 
I wasn't able to be there last week or last month because I was sick the month before that. It was just it was unbelievable, the relationships that were built. The last thing is this, and it's a time of rejoicing. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's just not eating and drinking. When we take communion, we proclaim to one another from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, unity together in the blood of Christ. We saw that Monday night football, right? You had teams that traditionally just don't like each other. And they're like, this is bigger than football. This is bigger than football. We're brothers. We have a brotherhood. And all of a sudden, everything got brought down. John chapter 20, and I'll close with this verse, and then we'll take communion. But John chapter 20, verse 7, after they went to the empty tomb, here, here's what they, they recorded and what they saw. The wrapping that had been on his head, speaking of Jesus, was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. Now, a lot of people don't understand this pastor, this, this passage, and, and pastors at this point usually make stupid jokes, right? Because they don't understand it. So they'll say things like, kids, Jesus made his bed before he left, so you should make your bed before you leave. But to understand this passage is to understand their culture. So, in Jewish culture, the master of the table would sit at the, at the head of the table. And the servants would sit behind him. And the servants were there to serve the master and his guest. And so if the master would take his napkin from his lap, wipe his face, wipe his, 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 his beard, and then would throw the napkin, you know, wad it up and throw the napkin in the, in the center of the plate, then it, it, was, it was letting the, the servant know that they, they could take the plate. He's done. And then the servants would reach over and take the plate. But if the master all of a sudden took the napkin from his lap, wiped his face, wiped his beard, folded it up, and then laid it aside, like this verse, laid it aside, that was telling his servant, I'll be right back. When they went in the empty tomb and they saw the face covering folded up like the napkin and set aside, Jesus was telling them, I'll be right back. I'm coming back. I am, com I am coming back. And the reason we take communion is to remember that. That's why we started, Karen and I started in, through Christmas, praying in Christ who came at Christmas will one day come again in all of his glory. And we need to remember that.